Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from 9 a.m. Houston, Texas, Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, and let people know that you were here and listening to my show. You can get reminders of upcoming shows. It's all free. My call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can call using the telephone or Skype. You can listen on your phone or your computer. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, just hit the number 1 and I'll know that you would like to ask a question. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this newsletter out for about 12 years, and to sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. I do not share email addresses with anyone because your privacy is important. Good morning. We're going to open the line to our wonderful guest today, who's Audrey Gutierrez, an aromatherapist, who's going to be talking to us about our spiritual connection to plants. How are you? Hello, Audrey. I'm good. So, how did um, so you're an aromatherapist, but you also have a, a company that grows plants and makes essential oils, correct? Well, we don't actually grow the plants. It's called Wisdom of the Earth, and I own it with a business partner, Barry Cap, and we're based outside of Sedona, Arizona, where I am right now. And we work with uh, small farmers, small family farmers all over the world, Nepal, uh, France, Canada, South America, a few in the United States, to um, bring their beautifully grown and handcrafted essences to our customers. So while my husband, Leonardo, and I are interested in starting to grow some things at our place in Santa Fe and start distilling in the next couple of years, right now we're working really hand-in-hand on a very, very intimate level with our farmers. Um, We have stayed at their homes. We have done tours of many of our farmers in the different countries, um, some of whom had never (laughs) received a visit from an aromatherapist before, some perfumers, but never an aromatherapist. Um, And so we are really at this point working with um, probably in the dozens of um, small farmers all over the world to bring their essences to us. And then we hand pour them. We don't use any machines. We don't add anything to the essences. We hand pour these pure, single, medicinal-grade essences um, into the, the small bottles that then we sell to our clients. I love it that you go to all the farms or you go to enough of the farms that you have a really good feel for how they're growing these plants and what their connection to nature is. You can get that feel when you're there, right? It's so important. And, you know, my business partner, we both bring very different but I think very valuable um experiences, life experiences, and education to what we do. Barry was a farmer himself for years. Uh, He was a dairy farmer in upstate New York and also um, in um, the Midwest, I think in Iowa. And he uh, always treated his animals with essential oils and and herbs and had the healthiest, highest-producing dairy cows that anyone uh, in their communities had seen. And he always did it naturally. And so um, he brings a knowledge, and he did cash crop farming. So he, you know, knows how to run a farm. He's done it um, for a living, um, probably for ten or fifteen years out of his life. And so when we go to a farm, whether it's in uh, France, we were in a, a place in Corsica where literally nobody in the town spoke English and had never um, 
had an aromatherapist visit them, et cetera, et cetera. It was just incredible. But he's able to go and we meet these people, and he's really able to size up an operation in terms of, you know, how they're doing it. And also we get to know them as people, which to us is hugely important. Um, It's kind of like knowing who's cooking your food or (laughs) who's preparing your food. It's really knowing that these are people who work from the heart and who are doing this um, out of love and not just uh, to make a buck. You know, everybody needs to be able to support themselves, but there are some people whose primary motivation is profit and there are other people whose primary motivation is to serve. And then they, you know, are able to support themselves through their service. And that to us is a huge difference, and that's what we look for in our farmers. So then what that means is that they're coming at it from more of a, if if there's a desire to serve, then people are there for spiritual reasons, whether they want to articulate it that way or not. Right. You know, some people, um, it's funny, where they are in their lives or in terms of their culture, they might not describe it as spiritual, but when you see them and see how they work and how they commune with the plants, um, you, you get that spiritual feeling. They may not put that word to it. On the other hand, uh, one of our farmers in Canada, who's Abenaki, and his wife is Micmac Pawnee, um, when we visited them several years ago, he has a, a mobile still that he takes into the forest, and he does our fir balsam and our white spruce and some of our other conifers. His son at the time was, I think, about 12 or 13, drummed the whole time they were harvesting and uh, distilling and they do it in wow. ceremony. So for them, the spirituality is a huge part of it. So for some, it's it's kind of, you know, a walking meditation in that what they do, they do with intention and they do with love. For other people, they really acknowledge and uh, amplify the spiritual aspect of it. So, for example, this Native American family does their entire process in ceremony just as we do our pouring in ceremony. Wow. And then there are other people who are not conscious of of ceremony, but they're feeling love the whole time they're working with the plants because they love plants. Yeah. yeah. Right? So that that energy, whether it's ceremony or love, infuses the plants and the oils with an energy that's very different than somebody who's running along with a a gas-powered machine chopping things up and throwing it into a bin and so on. Well, and, you know, the people we work with, that's why when we teach our classes and one of the big components we talk about is production and quality because our essences are extremely high-end, and so they're costly. And people will often say, you know, well, I can get lavender for $7 a bottle. Why should I pay $30 for yours? And, you know, that's so hard to describe to somebody until they can smell it, put it on their bodies, and really experience it. But our farmers, one of the things we say in our class is that, you know, you can have all the gas chromatogram readings you you want, you can have all the chemical profiles you want, but at the end of the day, it's who are you dealing with and is there a trust between the two of you, is there a love for what they do, and, you know, that is the relationship is everything. And so, you know, they always say, what, figures lie and liars figure. Um, We had a situation, oh, maybe about 10 years ago now, where Kurt Schnabel, who's a very recognized and admired uh, figure in American aromatherapy, he's a German um, uh, chemist, biochemist, and he actually at a class had to announce that um, he had been fooled by some chemically modified um, birch oil, sweet birch, and Mm -hmm. apologized to everybody. And here he's a chemist. And he found out that it had been adulterated and was offering everybody to exchange it or give their money back. And I really take my hat off to him for being willing to admit that he, too, had been duped. And so, you know, it was a huge lesson to the rest of us in the aromatherapy community that, you know, even though some of these things were put in place to protect people, to say that, you know, this will um, establish that your essence is pure, et cetera, et cetera, Things can be manipulated, and so when you have farmers who are really working from their hearts and are doing this for medicine, they are much less likely to fall into that trap of adulteration or, you know, watering down the soup, so to speak, um, to make a greater profit um, than people who are just doing it, um, you know, to make candles or for the flavoring industry where there's not such a high 
um, emphasis on quality as there is in the medicinal, uh, you know, aromatherapy community. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just another layer of trust and relationship that helps ensure quality. So we t- tell people all the time, know your source. You know, that's why we go see our farmers. Um, And like I said, they're really not, they're so welcoming when we come and they take time from their incredibly busy schedule, even during harvesting and distillation, to spend like a day with us to teach us and our students. And, you know, that really, I think, goes to the level of uh, honor that they feel that we care enough to visit them and learn about what they do and how they do it and why they do it the way they do Um, versus people who just, you know, look on the Internet and place an order. It's a whole different – we invest a lot of time and money into building these relationships. My business partner, Barry, has been to Nepal. He's been to Morocco. We did a tour of Canada, as I mentioned before. We visit our farmers in France every few years. Um, We've been to Corsica. He's been to South America to visit some of our farmers down there. So, you know, they really know that we're very invested in the relationship, and and they are invested as well. They really treat us like family. It's really – uh, an amazing experience to go and stay at their homes and, and that type of thing. And they're very simple, wonderful people. They don't live in a grandiose lifestyle, but they live in a in a very um, – it, it, everything is centered around nature and the farming and the distilling, and it's a beautiful energy to be around. And I just want to say to everybody listening now or later in the archives, when you listen to Audrey talk – and listen to how she speaks about this work she's doing, this is what it sounds like when someone's doing their spiritual work. This is what it sounds like. Okay. There's excitement. excitement. There's joy. There are words like honor used in the conversation. So um, what would you say would be a good starting place for us to talk about our spiritual connection to the plants? Because when you use the aromatherapy, you are actually making, uh, when you're using the essential oils, you are making a connection to the plants that came from. Is that correct? Or Absolutely. Your... Okay. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree that. more. Your, your, your essence is connecting with their essence. And mm-hmm. I've never used this analogy before, but the analogy that just came to mind is that of in the old times when they would become uh, people would become blood brothers or blood sisters, and they would literally mm-hmm. commingle their blood to show their deep uh, connection to each other. And this is literally um, the the blood of the plants or trees. That's the best way to describe it. So many yeah. times people will say, "Oh, I can't use you know juniper oil or I can't use goldenrod because I'm hugely allergic to those plants." And, and, you know, the chemistry that they give off. But the chemistry that a plant gives off to either ward off predators or to attract pollinators is very different than what they produce to heal themselves and to heal us. And mm-hmm. so the best analogy is that it is the blood of their body just as it is the blood of our body. So when that essence goes through our skin and into our bloodstream, it is an extremely intimate relationship. And so many people um, don't realize that, all the synthetics that they put into their bodies, whether they take it orally or topically on the skin in the form of cosmetics and things like that, all of that goes right into our bloodstream. And so that's why, you know, it's so important to be very conscious of what goes into the products that you use and the food that you eat um, because it, it literally does become part of your makeup, your chemistry. So we are communing and connecting with them on an incredibly deep level. And one of the things we always say to people is that the essences work on a physical, emotional, and spiritual level. And I've had people really question me, well, what do you mean by that? What what do you mean they work on a spiritual level? And, you know, what I mean by that is even though we may use an essence to treat a physical um, situation, uh, and the best example I have um, is the story of the uh, I was using spikenard for treating... um, athlete's fit that I picked up at the gym, and it's hugely antifungal, and so I was using it very successfully to treat the athlete's foot. And I remember uh, I was out on my deck, this is years ago when I first started out, sat on my deck putting my dog out to to do her duty for the night before we went to bed, and my daughter was out with friends, and it's pitch black outside, and I hear, I love you. And I'm thinking, you know, who's back here? <laughs> what's, what's going on? I hear, you, I love you. You saved me. And I realized it was this huge holly tree that I had that was three stories high. I had a three-story Victorian, 
and it was three stories high, and it was one of the reasons I bought the house. It was just the most incredible tree. And my husband, uh, who's now my ex-husband, but at the time he was my husband, wanted to cut it down and put a hot tub there. Mm. And I traveled a lot for my work, and I said to him, please promise me you will never, ever cut that tree down while I'm gone, because he loves to say about himself, I ask forgiveness, not permission. (laughs) That was one of his favorite sayings, you know. And he promised me he would never do that, and he didn't. But he wanted to. And I remember running to the phone and calling Barry, my business partner, who um, was just a dear friend at the time. And I called him up, and I said, oh, my goodness, you know, the holly tree spoke to me. Why now? Why three years later? And I remember him saying, oh, my goodness, you've been using Spike Nord essential oil to treat the athlete's uh, foot you have on on your one foot. I said, oh, my goodness, you're absolutely – the minute he said it, I knew that that had opened the door. And as it turns out, Spike Nord is one of the major essences to increase what we call our receptive awareness, our ability to tune into these other frequencies, these other levels of communication, whether it's psychic communication with other humans, um, communication with animals or uh, the rocks or the, the mountains uh, or the plants and trees. And in this case, it, was, it opened up and, and calibrated my ability to get on the frequency of these trees because he said, you know, they didn't just start telling you now. They've been, he, that tree's been telling you this. You weren't able to hear it. And I always compare it to uh, a radio show that's broadcasting. You know, just because we don't tune it in doesn't mean it's not broadcasting. We just have to get on the right wavelength or the right frequency um, or the right modality to access that information. So some essences um, are very, very powerful at doing this, uh, spikenard being one, frankincense being another, rose being another. But all of the essences, when you use them, when they're pure, and you're using them in a consistent way, and it really becomes part of your lifestyle, help open up, or if it's already open in someone, help expand those abilities to connect with higher self, with the angelic realm, with the plants and trees, just those other levels of consciousness that we are surrounded by. So they you know, really Alfred are Huxley. an incredible guide to the, to, the spirit, you know, to, to the spirit world, to the unseen world. Yeah, Aldous Huxley would have referred to that as opening the doors of perception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Making that door open or open any wider because all these things, like you said, are already here. But the only question is, are we perceiving it? So spike nard's a good thing to do that with, right? It's Rose, huge. Frankincense and spike nard. Are, are three major ones, but literally mm-hmm. all of them, um, when mm-hmm. they're pure, are deepening that connection to the natural world and to the unseen aspect of the natural world. And and so using them starts opening people up. We had a gentleman, I don't think I've told you this story before, we had a gentleman uh, in Pennsylvania who was visiting his stepson in Sedona, and um, his son was one of our students, his stepson. So he, they came over, and he had terrible um, respiratory problems because he had spent years in the um, commercial cleaning industry. So being exposed to all those toxic chemicals had just wrecked havoc with his respiratory system. And so he started with some very, very serious respiratory essences, um, some of the more powerful eucalyptuses that we carry because we have over 10 eucalyptuses. But we worked with uh, him on ones that were for pneumonia and bronchitis and chronic uh, respiratory problems. And then um, also some, you know, like one called Ravensera, one called Inula graviolens. But it was interesting, over time, he would email us and order his replacement bottles. He started ordering things like frankincense and spike nard and several others. And over the years, as we developed our relationship with this gentleman, we saw him shift from working on a purely physical level to alleviate the symptoms that he experienced all the time to someone who really grew spiritually right before our eyes and started talking about using the essences for meditation and and to expand his consciousness. And so I think they were a a real support in his growing more spiritually aware and more spiritually um, connected in his own life. And so, you know, he's one that really stood out because he did not start at that place, but we saw him over a several-year period really evolve to that place. Um, and we see it in so many other people, though it may not be as dramatic or we don't have the chance to stay in touch for that long. 
but um, they really do work on all three levels. And so, like I said, while you may start out using them for an emotional or physical purpose, like I was using the spike nard for athlete's foot and he was using his inula for his you know, respiratory, they ended up taking us to a spiritual place that we probably would have not gone to on our own, that they really were guides and supports um, for us in that way. And so that's, you know, just two little examples of how they do work on all three levels, even though we may, you know, begin to work with them, particular ones, uh, for a physical or emotional reason. Hmm. So you've mentioned three that are really good for for opening the doors of perception, for expanding our awareness. Are there some other oils you would recommend for specific spiritual uses, like and I don't know if this is possible or not, but do you know any that would make it easier for people to see things they couldn't see before as opposed to hearing things they couldn't hear before, or does it get that specific? You know, it, it honestly does. Um, I, I want to mention two things, so um, I don't want to forget in my stream of consciousness here. <laughs> One okay. is that we always tell our students, you know, they'll say, well, what are these good for? How do you know what they're good for? So we always say, well, if you take one that's good on a physical level for something, now let's look at that on an emotional and spiritual level. What would that look like? And so, for example, some of the major ones um, for seeing to improve eye health and vision are frankincense, sweet fennel, uh, carrot seed is another, saffron is another, and we will suggest that people use this for physical. I used um, the first three very successfully to um, totally really eliminate the problems I was having with night vision about five or six years ago. And yet that's on a physical level. So then we always say to people, okay, now what would that look like on a spiritual level? How would you translate those properties on a spiritual level? Well, they allow us to see spiritually things that we might not have seen before. And so it might be a power of observation. We start seeing patterns in things, and all of a sudden we realize that pattern has meaning. Or it may be that we start seeing angels or we start seeing, you know, um, people who've passed over. It can be whatever your gift is or your intention is in expanding your spiritual sight, the ones that help us on a physical level for sight will also help us on a spiritual level. Uh, so that's just one example of taking some that are for a specific physical use and in this case it was sight so there are some for hearing so they would also help us if we wanted to develop more auditory skills and start hearing messages and things like that so those that are good on the physical realm will translate that ability into the spiritual realm but a couple I wanted to mention that are just um, we've just started carrying them and it's it's really exciting we um, had two people a, a couple in our level one class well, maybe I'm going to say three or four years ago now. And I'll never forget them because they came in, and uh, it was a section I was teaching at the time because Barry and I, Barry was still teaching level one at that time. And so his wife and he and I shared the teaching responsibilities for the two days. But this was a a little segment I was teaching, and part of it was just questions that people had uh, on their experience thus far. And this one gentleman said, you know, well, our intention, our goal is to learn enough about the oils and get healthy enough that we don't need them, that we don't need to use them. Mm-hmm. And I remember being kind of stunned by that and yeah. started to kind of say, you know, well, it's about well-being. It's about they also bring joy to your life and, and you know, spiritual expansion and looking at all the things they do other than treating physical illness or helping us, you know, keep a strong immune system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the rest of the class jumped in. It was really interesting because it really started this incredible conversation about why do we want to connect with them? What is our intention in using these essences? And they started out with the intention of getting well so they wouldn't need them anymore. I said, so if you were eating organic food and, and got healthier, so would you quit eating organic food? <laughs> no. I said, there's something about it as a lifestyle that's a very, very important component of this. Well, to make a long story short, over the years they became so involved with the essences that they decided to become distillers. And so they studied, they took our level two class where we um, work with one of our students in Sedona who has become a distiller. 
and learned about the process and then did some research on their own. And they are now making some gorgeous essences in southern Utah that we carry at Wisdom of the Earth. And one of them ties, or several of them, tie very directly into what we're talking about. They have started distilling the cones of the ponderosa pine tree and the cones of the pinion pine. So while they also make both pinion oil and ponderosa oil, which includes the branches and the twigs and and the cones, they decided to do just some cones to see what that would be like. And I have to tell you, it is nothing short of incredible. Um, In ancient times, the symbol that has come from ancient times to us of the pineal gland is a pine cone. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason is that it looks like a tiny little pine cone physically. It literally looks like one. But also the pine cone and the pineal gland have always been seen as gateways to spiritual expansion. And that that is, you know, the third eye is uh, a huge entry point um, for spiritual growth and and perception. We'll use that word again because it fits beautifully. And uh, expansion. And so uh, putting some of that, pine cone essence i am partial to the pinion but i had a a student a client of mine who had an incredible experience with the ponderosa pine cone so i I think they are just equally uh, amazing putting that on the third eye and meditating is is just a mind-blowing experience and so um here's someone who was kind of questioning where this fits into your life. You know, is it a single purpose, let's get well and not need them anymore, or is it let's take this into our lives and how is this going to better our lives on probably every level you can imagine, which is what they evolved to, and then became so, you know, connected to the essences and wanted to become a part, a deeper part of the process, began producing their own beautiful essences. And so um, watching them walk down that path and how they grew in their relationship to the plants and trees and now the incredible uh, gifts they're bringing to the world that we're so proud to offer because we had very few essences from the United States. There aren't a lot of people producing enough that they can then wholesale it to someone like us. Um, we have been thrilled to have, we have their pinion pine, we have their ponderosa pine. Um, they do rabbit brush, which is amazing. Um, they do gum never weed. Heard of you know, rabbit so brush. Pardon? Rabbit brush. I've never heard rabbit of rabbit brush. Rabbit brush is a beautiful yellow um, shrub that grows throughout um, Arizona and into Colorado and some parts of New Mexico. And it's mm. the beautiful yellow um, that you see in the spring in the Southwest. And wow. it's um, just an incredible plant. And we just—I did a little tiny story on it. Um, in, I think, not this last newsletter, but the one before, so in probably in our fall newsletter. And if anybody is interested in getting on the mailing list for the Wisdom of the Earth newsletter that I edit, it's a quarterly um, eight-page newsletter that we send out by mail. They're very welcome to contact me at my website, shiningsunaromatherapy.com, and you can email me from there. Um, Or I also send out an e-news Oh, usually every couple of months, and the last one was on hydrosols and the essence of myrrh, which is another wonderful one for the topic we're discussing today. Uh, and that just went out um, the first week of January, and that I would just need your email address. And so, again, if you email me at um, my website or my personal email is shiningsunfarm at aol.com, and farm is singular, Shining Sun Farm. Um, I'd be happy to send out the last issue and, and get you signed up for future issues, but I do that about every couple of months. But, you know, I really love to share stories about the different essences and especially new ones where there's not a lot known about them. So we, a few issues ago, did highlights on all of our new essences from this uh, particular farmer, and he and his wife literally sleep overnight out in the forest for much of the harvesting and distilling season in southern Utah. Uh, they're, they're very much mountain people. They're They're just incredible human beings, and he usually comes and talks to our Level 2 group about distilling and and what it's like to live a life where that is your income. Our other distiller has a day job, and he and his wife do this as as something they love but not as their sole source of income. But Eric and his wife are doing it as their sole source of income. Well, they they do have some other products that they make, um, but, you know, this is living from the land is really how they um, sustain themselves. So... What does rabbit brush oil do? Just 
a brief overview of that. I'm I'm really curious. That name just fascinates me, Rabbit Brush. <laughs> well, Rabbit Brush is um, really very antibacterial, and it's very um, hardy because we have, you know, kind of extreme temperatures um, in, in the heat of the sun here in Arizona. Uh, and in New Mexico and Colorado, it can get pretty cold. And so it's kind of like frankincense in the sense that they're very uh, hardy plants and very wizened plants. They're um, they're tough little things, but they're also beautiful. And so they are hugely antibacterial. They're also good for respiratory issues, and some uh, tribes use them for digestive issues. Um, it's also oh. good. They would make poultices from them and, and to draw out um, uh, inflammatory elements of wounds and um, Infections, things like that. So it really helps to draw out any kind of toxins from the body. Wow. Okay. Thank you for telling me that. I just never even heard of the plant before, which is unusual because I'm very <laughs> plant. Well, it's very regional in nature. You know, I, yeah. I think it only we don't is have in it this here. area of the country. So yeah, we don't have it down in South Texas. That's why I've never heard of it. Yeah, you know, you should go online. It's just an absolutely beautiful plant, and um, it, it's really wonderful to have somebody taking some of these these things that people just look at as weeds and mm. revealing their purpose on this planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess that's another aspect of the whole spiritual thing we're talking about here. Um, it's so much about our purpose and why are we here. And in this connection with the plants and trees, I think that's a huge part of healing. I mean, I really subscribe to a lot of the stuff that people like Louise Hay have said in terms of our emotional and spiritual health directly affects our physical health mm-hmm. and well-being. And I really I really believe that, and I see that more every day. And so I really see the essence as being able to work on all three levels and being able to heal on all three levels, um, really tapping right into that relationship and using that as part of the healing process. And so when we teach our classes, we tell people all the time, you know, we are happy to tell you kind of what I just did with the rabbit brush, you know, some of the key things each essence does. And we go over a whole set of what we call foundational essences in our class where we talk about this is good for this, and this is good for that, this is how you use it, this is how you apply it. And that's hugely important, and I would never downplay that. But I feel equally important is the relationship that you forge with the plants and trees and the relationship you have with the essences that you use um, because I think that's a huge part of the healing as well. Um, there's a wonderful gentleman by the name of Stephen Buhner who wrote, um, I just feel it's a magnificent book called The Lost Language of the Plants. And it was very life-changing for me to read that book. He's an herbalist uh, and is one of the few people who've come out of the closet and admits that plants and trees talk to him and that he is he is literally the student of the plants and trees, and they teach him how to use them medicinally. And it's so refreshing to have somebody admit to that because most people won't. Even if they've had the experience, they're afraid of how that sounds or how that will look to others. Um, but he is very open about that, and he talks all the time about the ancient connection between humans and the plants and trees, and that in ancient times there was one language and the animals could speak to each other and to humans, and humans could talk to the plants and trees. It was all one communication. Um, you know, that has changed, and as we've moved further and further away from our natural roots, that relationship has become more strained, and I think it allows us to exploit the natural world the way that we do because we aren't as close to it as we used to be. But it also, I think, has contributed to a lot of the a lot of the distress people feel on both the physical and emotional as well as spiritual level, they feel a separation. They feel like they don't know why they're here. I mean, I think a lot of things contribute to that, but one of them I think is truly the um, the lack of connection that people have with the natural world in terms of just time and energy and focus and the nature of it. You know, you can have your your child out playing soccer all weekend, but if it's on a, you know, some of it's indoor soccer or it's on a field and they're busy the whole, you know, 60 minutes and then they come off the field and somebody else goes on, they really haven't been in nature. Like when I was little, I used to go sit in the woods for hours by myself, and people just don't do that anymore. There's a lot of fear around the safety of the children and so forth, and some people just don't have access 
to a wooded place or a, a field where they can just go sit and be with nature. I would go sit in the weeds around along the Ohio River as a little child, five, six, seven years old, for hours. Mm-hmm. And people you know, didn't have search parties out looking for me. You know, that was more accepted back then. You know, I'm 61 years old. You know, things were very different when I was six years old. But the time I spent with the plants and trees, with the river, was hugely important to me as a human mm-hmm. being because I had a very dysfunctional family and it was a very tough place to grow up. And so this was like a source of solace for me, but also a source of guidance and support for me. And I honestly don't know what I would have done without it. But I often start my classes or things that I, um, you know, segments that I give, uh, presentations, with a reading from Stephen Buhner's book, The Lost Language of Plants. It's called um, The Taste of Wild Water. And it's about how that connection is deeply, foundationally important to us in terms of becoming true humans, living from our heart and being humane in the way we interact with ourselves and others. Yeah. I would summarize all of that by saying the lack of connection to the natural world is the source of all our cultural dysfunction, whether it be in the United States or globally. The way that we respond to everything is twisted because we have no daily connection to the natural world, especially here in the United States. But I'm sure it's true of a lot of industrialized nations. Oh, it's becoming a problem all over. And, you know, I I, I will say I personally kind of move away from using the words like all, (laughs) but I would say most or a lot of our dysfunction, I would totally agree. You know, there is a natural order in the natural world, and it's very important to understand that order, to observe that order. It, it's very educational. It teaches us. And it's just trashed in our society. It's not considered important at all. One of the things we teach in our Level 2 class is um, the importance of biodiversity, but also how um, I've had more than one person in my class say to me, you know, I love plants and trees so much I wanted to become either a botanist, they'll say, or, you know, work for the Forest Service or whatever. And when they got into these systems, they were literally so inhospitable to plants and trees that they had to leave the system because Mm -hmm. it wasn't about loving them and protecting them at all. It was about exploiting them. And it was shocking to them and it was disappointing to them. And in many, many cases, they had to leave and pursue it more as an avocation than a vocation because the vocations were around management and the politics of it and the exploitation of it. And that was not what they entered into these studies to do. And it was very, very disheartening to them. And one of the examples given is um, even the way botanically we describe the names of things. Um, There are people who argue that if we described some of these plants in terms of the ecosystems they're part of, like what other things are dependent on them, also their medicinal uses, that type of thing, there might be less of a willingness to go in and and destroy an ecosystem because they would have a better understanding of the consequences of that destruction. But usually Mm -hmm. they're named for the botanist who roamed over the world and, and found them. I know one of our eucalyptuses is called Eucalyptus smithii. I said I'm sure that was a a botanist by the name of Smith who who discovered um, or documented that that variety or that species for the first time. And so they're not really described in a way that shows their value. It's more of a nomenclature than an explanatory kind of description. But I've read that some of the indigenous peoples who had maybe less elaborate, but still had ways to describe the plants and trees, did so in a way that showed them in relationship to other things, whether it was to humans or to an ecosystem that they were part of. And in that kind of description, a more relational kind of description, it was much um, more difficult to kind of blow off, you know, what destroying this whole species will do. You know, it became very apparent, well, you're going to, you're going to, affect this ecosystem, you're going to remove this source of medicine, it became much more apparent than just calling something by the number of leaves it has or the botanist who discovered it. And so that's something, you know, it's kind of a very deep level of thinking about 
how we distance ourselves from the plants and trees so that we can destroy them. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to what I said about all our cultural problems, I, I'm not just talking about the plant kingdom. I'm talking about the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, mm-hmm. because connection to that is connection to the spiritual component of the all that is, which is why I said that all our problems go back to that. And, okay. <laughs> because yeah. that's connection to the source. The, the ground of our being. So that's why I said all, because that's what I really think. I really think that. So, um, you know, people can, and by the way, not just talk to plants, but to minerals as well. I mean, Absolutely. a lot of people are aware they can communicate with their animals, but it's also possible to to communicate as, in meditation with minerals as well, with the rocks of the earth. Oh, uh, and, and, and the rivers? And the oh, sky. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's amazing. Wow. In our level two class, we do a, a little segment that I lead called um, Council of All Beings. And one of the things we do is everybody um, we put an essence on and we meditate. And everybody, whoever calls to them, whether it's the rocks or whether it's the river, whether it's giraffes or whether it's the violet, whatever comes to them, they're asked to connect with that energy that. That intelligence, and ask, you know, how are you doing on the planet right now? How are, how is your species faring? You know, hmm. and then what message do you have for me? What can we do about it? And what message do you have for me personally? And it's amazing what people come back with uh, from the rocks, from the lizards, from the sunflowers, from you know the grasses. Um, it's just amazing when we open ourselves up, and after three or four days of study, people are really primed to be able to, quote, hear this stuff, um, what comes to them and what the messages are. And some of the messages are, I'm doing just fine, and others aren't doing fine at all. And so oh, wow. it's really been amazing, but you're right. it's you know They are not limited. It's just all all consciousness on this planet. You can just invite something in to have you be their messenger. And mm-hmm. people do connect with different minerals and different um, rivers and things like that. That's hugely part of it. Uh, and it, So even though we're studying the plant and tree essences, it is open to all the intelligence on this planet, and it comes in literally every form you can imagine. So I want to ask you a theoretical question here. If a person were to use, um, say, for example, um, peppermint oil in place of deodorant, Every day, would that have some sort of effect on their energy field that um, that that would be measurable? I mean, suppose let's say, for example, you used one every day, like peppermint or lemon oil or um, I don't know, spikenard. Would those have different influences on a person? And do you think there's anything wrong with using the same one over and over every day for years instead oh, of the other? Um, I think it absolutely has an effect. Um, I probably wouldn't pick either peppermint for um, a deodorant, only because it can be skin sensitive on some people. But I'll tell you, we have a lot of people who use vetiver for their deodorant or who use vetiver and then a little lavender. Um, vetiver is a little thick for me, so but I have to tell you, we have dozens and dozens of clients who use it as their deodorant. I use, tend to use it with a little lavender. Um, and I think having certain ones, I use a, a face regimen every day that I use, about four or five different ones that I use. I have several. I have laurel leaf on right now. I use that literally every single day. Um, so I think there are ones that become your companions, your daily companions. And I think that's a beautiful thing because I think as you grow, they grow. As they grow, you grow. I don't think it's a static relationship. I think it's a very evolving relationship, just like if you were with a a best friend since grade school. You know, you don't have the same level of relationship you did when you were 7 or you did when you were 17 or you did when you were, you know, 27. And so it, it is a dynamic evolving relationship. So I don't see anything wrong with that whatsoever. And I think it really does affect our energy field. Um, You know, there are people who I have a a student, Sam Byrne, who's a a wonderful um, director, uh, director, a doctor of um, ophthalmology, I believe. He's an eye doctor in Santa Fe who has really moved into a lot of work with color therapy, but he also can, you know, measure auric fields. And there are definitely 
changes in a person's energy field when they uh, are using the essences in terms of both the color and also the size of it. Um, and so definitely it affects our energy. Um, people tell me all the time, like, you know, they can tell there's something different about me. And I've been using the essences every single day, undiluted, on my skin, for probably, I'm just trying to think, it's um, 13 years now, 13 or 14 years, hundreds of drops every day. And mm-hmm. that is not uncommon for me at all. And it really does create an energy and a presence about you um, that certainly is based upon your own personality and, and your own you know, innate energy. But there is definitely something different that occurs, that I think it embellishes and amplifies our own energies. And I think it brings out the best in us, to be honest with you. I, I see the essences really bring us to our authenticity um, so deeply that we start getting very, very clear about what we need to say yes to and what we need to say no to and what should be in our lives and what should not be or what we should lessen the influence of in our lives. It really helps put us on a path of uh, authentic living that is incredible and i have to say it's very different in the world today so it's almost like being around um someone who's taken um you know kind of a religious um oath or a religious practice it kind of sets you apart but in a good way there's like a a different energy about you that people notice and i think for some people it's a little uncomfortable to be around um it's kind of like being a, with an outspoken person or someone who's telling the truth and nobody else is <laughs> in a meeting or something like that where people go, whoa, <laughs> she's really telling it like it is, you know. It, it brings you to a level of such authentic functioning that um, some people are extremely drawn to it because it's so refreshing. And other people are a little uncomfortable with it because they're not really living a hugely authentic life themselves. And it can be a little, you know, different to be around. And I, I certainly had to shift my circle of friends over the years as I've gotten more and more and more into this as a way of life. Um, but I will tell you, the kind of people it attracts is is incredible. And the kind of reaction, I mean, we used to laugh when we would go to France. I remember we showed up once at the Air Canada desk at the airport, and Barry and I, we were uh, on our way to France on a trip. And the per- the person behind the uh, checking counter said, oh, can you just stand here all day, please? You smell so amazing. I calmed down the minute you walked up to the counter. Hmm. And I think part of it was our aroma and part of it was our energy. Sure, and which is affected by working with the plants. And can I ask absolutely. you a question about, um, and for the people who are listening, and I know there are an awful lot of people right now who are dealing with anxiety and depression mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, not just the economy that we're going through right now, but also because of the energetic shifts that are going on on this planet right now. So if you had to recommend one essential oil or maybe two to work with for depression and also one or two for anxiety, I think a lot of people would benefit from that right now. Well, there's a couple of ways to go at it. Um, a lot of people who experience anxiety benefit a lot from essences like white spruce or fir balsam because they're very grounding and centering. So if it's a kind of anxiety or stress where you feel very off-center or very pulled in a million directions, um, unable to focus, kind of spacey mentally or foggy, those are really, really excellent ones. If it's more of a kind of nervous jitteriness type thing where you really need calming more than centering, then something like lavender is really, and again, a pure medicinal-grade lavender can be really, really effective. And another that isn't hugely well-known but helped me tremendously when I was in the corporate world is called wild chamomile. Hmm. And it's from Morocco, and it's not the Roman chamomile growing wild. <laughs> it's actually called wild chamomile, and it's a whole different botanical name. Uh, but it's a very amazing one that I used to get off uh, anti-anxiety and anti-depression drugs that I was taking uh, over 10 years ago when I was in the corporate world. And I completely weaned myself off of them just using wild chamomile. It's an amazing essence. But I know a lot of people get a lot of comfort and support 
from uh, the lavender as well. And the other one I would just have to mention that I just mentioned briefly uh, that I said I wear every day is laurel leaf. So, again, it depends how you want to come at this depression or anxiety. Laurel leaf gives you courage. Laurel leaf helps you tap into that strength and courage that you have and to find it and to bring it more to the surface and to, like, blow, you know, the breath of life into it and and enliven it. Um, So it helps people, in some cases, address anxiety by becoming more courageous versus reducing their reaction to anxiety. So, again, like I said, it all depends on how you want to look at it. Uh, but okay, it's an amazing so one. What you're saying is laurel, L-A-U-R-E-L, yes, leaf, L-E-A-S. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also you're known saying. as bay laurel. Oh, bay but, laurel. Okay. Yeah. You know, I want so, to open the line. Well, can I just mention one thing? I'm sure. sorry. And there was just one other. There's a class of essences. Uh, the citrus family is ah. very uplifting. So for depression, things like grapefruit or Mexican lime or blood red orange are amazing to bergamot. uplift spirits. Oh, bergamot is fabulous for depression. It's like that. light in a bottle. So I just yeah. wanted to mention the citrus family. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I, I didn't mean to stop your explanation. That's okay. I'm going to open the line to Becky. Warning, three-second warning, Becky. <laughs> See if she's got any questions. Becky's my pal who's Axe's co-host. Hey, Becky. Hey, Lois. How you doing? Do you have any comments, questions? Well, I was um, actually intrigued by a lot of the discussion about people not getting out in nature and, you know, the um, just going to the ball field because it has a couple trees around doesn't necessarily constitute as being in nature. <laughs> so I thought that was um, a really good observation because I think that's our biggest problem is not connecting with the elements. So I've been oh, fascinated by, yeah, I've just been fascinated by the conversation of the oils and visiting them and the intent behind, you know, preparing them. So I, I've got a list of a couple that I want to try. <laughs> oh, me well, too. Becky, I want to mention a book to you if you're not already familiar with it. It's called The Last Child in the Woods, and it's by Richard, and I'm, I think it's L-O-U-V, and I don't know if he pronounces it love or Louv. But it's Richard L-O-U-V, but the the title is for sure The Last Child in the Woods, and he talks about nature deficit disorder. Oh, And it's a huge, I have, you know, my circle of friends tend to be more grandmothers than mothers at this point, um, and I really have encouraged a lot of them to just really insist that they take their, their grandchildren into more natural settings. Even if the child says, oh, no, I want to play my video games, you know, to really insist on that time. And so many have reported back that when they do, even the child says, I'm really glad we did that, you know. And mm-hmm. But uh, that book is really an amazing um, uh, effort to bring a national, international attention to a real problem that uh, this generation of children has with their lack of connection with nature. And the consequences of that. So that's something you might really uh, enjoy taking a look at. Yeah, thank you very much. I spent most of my childhood wandering around in the woods, and I was the youngest, and we lived in the country, and our closest neighbor was probably three miles away. So I played in the creek. I, you know, tadpoles and, mm-hmm. and you know, um, just hour upon hour, I had all kinds of imaginary friends and a very vivid imagination so it was just uh, had a little flashback there, and all the smells <laughs> of the pine trees, and then the way the leaves smell in the autumn when winter's setting in. And um, so, thank you for that little trip down memory lane. <laughs> You're welcome. I used to sneak out. There was a large field out behind my house up until I was about seven and a half when we moved away. There was this field full of wildflowers. It had been cleared at one time, I suppose, and then allowed to go wild again, and beyond that was a creek. And I used to, I was strictly forbidden to go over there for some strange reason, and I used to sneak over there and, like, crawl on my belly through the plants and hang out there and then go down to the creek. I got managed to get down to the creek a couple of times, but it was really hard to get that far. There's a huge, huge field. But I can remember doing that as an escape also, and it was just awesome. I can remember some of the flowers I saw and wondering what they were. Looking back, there was there were a lot of foxglove and things like that. So, yeah, that connection to nature is so, 
so crucial. And, you know, just from talking to you today, I've decided I'm going to get together a group, Audrey, and go camp in the woods for a few days just so people can meditate with plants. Oh, wonderful. Good for you. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I've been wanting to do it myself, but I think taking a group out there is good and just having a no-talk for a couple of days kind mm-hmm, of thing. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think, you know, again, it's. It, I'm glad you picked up that distinction, uh, Becky, because it, it's such an important one. We can go to nature, but then what do we do once we're in nature? So if we're talking and laughing and ignoring nature, but we're surrounded by it, it's not going to have the same effect as if we go mm-hmm. with the intention, like you're saying, Lois, of meditating and being more silent and really communing with nature, you know, that that's the purpose of it, not to do our normal activities in nature, but to really maybe do something different and really, you know, go with the intention of connecting more deeply with ourselves via our connection with nature. Yeah. Okay. Take some essences with you, Lois. Oh, oh, <laughs> and absolutely. put them on your crown chakra yeah. and your heart, and it, it'll just be amazing. Excellent. Excellent idea. So um, is there anything uh, you want to say to wrap up? We've just got a couple of minutes left. Is there anything you want to say to wrap up? Well, I just would like to encourage people to um, not see this as a, oh, gee, that would be a really nice thing to do, but to realize that really for humans it's an essential thing to do and Mm -hmm. that it's not a, um, it's really at the root of our 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 disconnection with our fellow humans and with the planet and and our loss of a lot of the health and well-being that we enjoyed um you know for many hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years and we're at a point where that disconnection has become extremely detrimental to our health and so i would just really encourage people to see it as a priority instead of a nice to do and i think they will be amazed at the difference yeah, I totally agree. Thank you for being with us here today. And again, your website is uh, shiningsunaromatherapy.com, and my email is shiningsunfarm at aol.com. Thank you. Thanks for being Thank here you. with us today. It was great, Lois. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. to do one for you. I do remote healing sessions and I do spiritual readings to answer your questions from the guide. HotPinkLotus.com I'd love to speak with you. My co-host Becky, Master in Training, Master in Practice, Master in
Bolo, ya nació un hermano. 